Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to the award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. And today we bring you a profile on Bill Sharman. If you are a basketball history aficionado like I am, then you have heard of Bill Sharman. But maybe you don't remember exactly what he did during his career. Well, that is what we do here at Basketball History 101. Bill Sharman is one of the very few people to be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame twice. For decades, John Wooden was the only person in basketball history to be in the Hall of Fame as both a player and a coach. In the last 20 years or so, a few others have joined him. Guys like Lenny Wilkins, Tom Heinsohn, and Bill Russell are now all two-time Hall of Famers, and also Bill Sharman. It's probably no coincidence that three of these two-time Hall of Famers were teammates on the Boston Celtics. That's Heinsohn, Russell, and Sharman. That's a lot of talent in one place. Sharman was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame as a player in 1976, and then as a coach in 2004. Bill Sharman was a member of the NBA's 50 Greatest Players back in 1996 and also a member of the NBA's 75 list announced at the beginning of the NBA's 2021-2022 season. He was an 8-time All-Star, an All-Star Game MVP in 1955, and a 7-time All-NBA. He also invented something that today is practiced by basketball teams around the world, the morning shoot-around. But I will get to that in just a moment. I am getting a bit ahead of myself here. So let's go back to the beginning of Bill Sharman's story. He was born on May 25, 1926 in Abilene, Texas, but he was not raised there. His family settled in Porterville, California. It is located in California's Central Valley, about halfway between Bakersfield and Fresno. Porterville is part of California's agricultural area. Basically, Bill Sharman was raised in California's farm country. And I've said this a couple of times in previous episodes, but I think it bears repeating here. The kind of an athlete who is good enough to go professional in any sport is very likely to be really, really good at other sports too. Most of the people who become professional are literally superior athletes compared to the rest of us. Their gift of coordination, speed, strength, and agility makes them prime candidates to be good at a variety of sports. Bill Sharman was that kind of an athlete. In high school, he was the star of the basketball team and the baseball team. He was heavily recruited in both sports coming out of high school and selected the University of Southern California, or USC. However, he had to put his university enrollment on hold as the United States was still in the middle of World War II. Like many young men at the time, Sharman put his regular life on hold to serve in the war with the Navy. He was assigned to a repair ship in the Pacific, and after two years of service, he was able to begin his college career. At USC, he continued to play on both the basketball team and the baseball team. And now that today we are talking about Bill Sharman, the Basketball Hall of Famer, but he had a very distinguished baseball career. 
He played first base for the USC Trojans and won the 1948 College World Series. If you were a fan of college baseball, then you know that USC is a perennial baseball powerhouse. But his basketball career was going pretty well too. After his senior year at USC, he was named a Basketball All-American in 1950. His jersey number 11 is retired by the USC basketball team. However, now he had a choice to make. He could play professional basketball, professional baseball, or just go get a regular job. Well, he chose to pursue both sports and played both baseball and basketball. He was not the first NBA player to also play professional baseball. A couple of years before him, there was Chuck Connors who played for the Celtics and the Brooklyn Dodgers. And by the way, if you want to check out the Chuck Connors story, go all the way back to episode 38 where we do a profile on his career. We also have guys that came after him, like Dave DeBusher, who played for the New York Knicks and the Chicago White Sox. Danny Ainge played for a number of different NBA teams and also for the Toronto Blue Jays. Even though Sharman was one of the best basketball players to come out of college in 1950, he was selected in the second round of the draft by the Washington Capitals as a 24-year-old rookie. Now, part of the reason that he fell to the second round is because teams did not want to waste a pick on somebody who was going to end up playing professional baseball. But Charmin did both for five years, and he played in the Brooklyn Dodgers minor league system for five seasons, even getting called up to the big club in 1951. However, he never actually entered a game. So after those five years, he realized that his potential as a baseball player had maxed out. Now, he made that decision relatively easily to walk away from baseball. And I say relatively easily because by the time he left the Dodgers organization, he was already a three-time NBA All-Star. Now this is actually a good place to take a break and I'll be right back and we will get into Sharman's professional basketball career. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We here at the Sports History Network proudly partner with 26 podcasts, all revolving around the history of sports. But did you know that many of our hosts were sports history authors way before they started their shows? It's true. We've got Joe Ziemba, host of When Football Was Football. Joe Zagurski, host of Pro Football in the 1970s. Mark Morthier, host of Yesterday Sports. Tommy Phillips, host of Lombardi Memories. And Scott Adamson, co-host of From the 55-Yard Line. All these authors have many books for you to choose from. To check them out, go to our website at sportshistorynetwork.com slash sportshistorybooks. Pick up your copy today! Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io Welcome back to the show and let us continue with our profile on Bill Sharman. As I had mentioned before the break, Sharman had played five years of minor league baseball with the Brooklyn Dodgers organization, but he left once it became clear that he would likely never make it to the majors. So while his baseball career was happening, he was also playing NBA basketball, and as I mentioned, he was drafted in the second round by the Washington Capitals where he averaged 12 points per game as a rookie and shot the lowest field goal percentage of his career at 37%. It was a decent start, but the Washington Capitals were not doing well financially. And when I say that they were not doing well, I mean that they were hemorrhaging money and had to shut down the team and completely go out of business by the end of that season. 
all of the players' contracts were dispersed to existing teams. Charmin's contract landed with the Fort Wayne Pistons, but they felt that they were already covered at shooting guard, so they were open for a trade. Red Arbach, who in my opinion is one of the shrewdest dealers in NBA history, traded Chuck Share to the Pistons in return for Bill Charmin. Chuck Share was 6 foot 11 or 211 centimeters and he was the number one pick in the entire draft the year before by the Celtics. Players that tall were extremely rare back in those days. There were probably only three or four guys in the entire league that were that tall or taller. But Auerbach knew that Cher did not have all-star potential. He had a decent nine-year career, but that was it. On the other hand, Arbach brought in one of the greatest shooting guards of all time with Bill Sharman. Arbach struck again, and with that deal, Sharman was paired up with Hall of Fame point guard Bob Cousy. It took a year of adjustment, but by his second year with the Celtics, Sharman was scoring 16 points per game and leading the league in free throw percentage. He was a stellar player who went to the All-Star game for eight years in a row. He averaged over 42% from the field, which by today's standards is not that impressive, but in the 1950s, that was considered deadly accurate. He was one of the hardest players to stop. Arbach once commented on Sharman's strength as he drove to the basket. At a height of only 6 foot 1 or 185 centimeters, he was not the biggest player around, but he was quicker and stronger than most. Seven times he was named to the All-NBA team, which back then meant that he was considered one of the top 10 players in the entire league seven times. His scoring would really kick into high gear once the Celtics acquired a brand new center in a trade with the St. Louis Hawks. That center was Bill Russell. Sharman averaged over 20 points per game during Russell's first four seasons with the team. The Celtics were firing on all cylinders with future Hall of Famers at all five starting positions and two more future Hall of Famers coming off the bench. Once, during their championship run, Sharman approached Red Arbach and asked that they renumber the team's plays which were simply numbered 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Sharman's argument was that the rest of the league had memorized all of the Celtics' plays and that they might not be as effective anymore. Auerbach argued that he did not care if the rest of the league knew what plays were coming. They still couldn't stop them. But heeding Sharman's advice, they renumbered the plays. Play 1 became 2, play 2 became 3, and so on with play 6 becoming the new play number 1. But in their very first game with the new numbers, the Celtics were completely disorganized as nobody knew what play they were supposed to be running. Some guys were running the new number two, while other guys were running the old number two. Finally, they got down about 10 points and Arbach called a timeout. He yelled at the guys that their plays were going to go back to the original numbers. They won the game and a whole bunch of more championships. Bill Sharman retired at the end of the 1961 season with four NBA championships and he was, at the time, the all time leader in free throw percentage with a career average of 88.3%. He would hold that record for being the most accurate free throw shooter of all time until Rick Barry came along and broke that record. By the way, Mark Price broke that record again and then it was Steve Nash and now it's Steph Curry who currently holds the record as the most accurate free throw shooter in history. So let us get back to Bill Sharman's career and what came next after his playing days. He immediately went into coaching after leaving the Celtics. He went to a team called the Cleveland Pipers of the American Basketball League and he won the 1962 ABL championship in his first year as a head coach. Since he had just played for the Celtics the year before, he was probably still a better player than anyone on the Pipers team. But after just one season, it was time for him to move on and move back to California where he was from. 
and then he coached for a couple of years at Cal State Los Angeles, and that led him back to a job in the NBA where he coached the San Francisco Warriors to a couple of mediocre seasons, and then it was over to the ABA with the Los Angeles Stars, where he won the 1971 ABA Championship when they moved to Utah and became the Utah Stars, proving that professional basketball could do well in Salt Lake City. After his championship season with the Stars, he was hired away by the Los Angeles Lakers. At the time, the Lakers had a championship caliber team with Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, and Will Chamberlain. Jerry West had been to the NBA Finals seven times and lost all seven of them. The window for Jerry West to win a title was getting smaller, so the Lakers reached out to an old Celtic and asked him to coach the team. As a Lakers fan, this has always bothered me a bit because of the rivalry between the Lakers and the Celtics. I am not a big fan of the team in green. The idea that it took a Celtic to lead the Lakers to the promised land is a bit hard to swallow. I mean, I'm glad the Lakers won that championship. I am all about winning. But did it have to be a Celtic as the head coach? Actually, it did. Just like Red Auerbach in Boston, Sharman believed in running a system that best harnessed the skills of the players. And what I mean is, rather than trying to force players into a predetermined system, why not install a system that took advantage of what the players were already really good at? He asked Will Chamberlain to dial back the scoring and just focus on defending and rebounding, just like Bill Russell used to do. Wilt was very agreeable. He wanted to win as much as anybody, and he had confidence that Charmin knew what he was talking about. Charmin supercharged the Lakers. That 1972 Lakers team still holds the NBA record with 33 consecutive regular season victories. In fact, that is the longest winning streak in all of North American team sports. Nobody else has ever threatened that record. They also set the NBA record at the time for the most victories in a single season with 69. It was 24 years before the 1996 Michael Jordan Bulls broke the record with 72 victories. And then the 2016 Steph Curry Warriors won 73 games. The 1972 Lakers team could not be stopped, but Sharman also introduced something to the Lakers and basketball everywhere with the morning shoot-around, which I had very briefly mentioned at the top of the episode. He thought it would be a good idea in order to get the players' minds on the game to have a short morning practice on the day of the game. He also believed that it would burn off nervous energy before the game. The concept was not new to Sharman, as he had been using it in the ABA and the ABL to great effect. I mean, the guy won championships in both of those other leagues. Today, we take the morning shoot-around for granted. Everybody does it. But back in the fall of 1971, when Sharman was announcing this new idea to the Lakers, it was completely unheard of at the NBA level. Most players were confused. Was Coach saying that they had to come to the arena at 10 a.m. for an hour or so, and then come back at 6 p.m. for the game? But Sharman made a deal with the players. If it was not working, then he would get rid of it. But the players had to give it an honest try. They agreed, and the Lakers ripped off 33 wins in a row. The shoot-around was not going anywhere after that. They even won the championship that year, defeating the New York Knicks in five games in the NBA Finals. After that, nearly every team in the league adopted the morning shoot-around on game days. The shoot-around is now standard practice all over the world at all levels of basketball. We have Bill Sharman to thank for inventing it and the 1972 Lakers for popularizing it. After five years of coaching the Lakers, he moved into the front office, where he worked as the general manager who preceded Jerry West. He stayed on with the Lakers as the president of the team through the entire Showtime run with Magic Johnson. In case you were counting, Bill Sharman has won 10 NBA championships, four as a player with the Celtics, one as the coach of the Lakers, and then five more as an executive with the Lakers. Man, that is a lot of jewelry.
and I'm not even counting his ABA and ABL championships. He also has two Coach of the Year awards, one from the NBA and one from the ABA. He retired from basketball completely in 1991. Sadly, we lost Bill Sharman in 2013 after he suffered a stroke. He was 87 years old at the time. But we can remember Bill Sharman as not only one of the best shooting guards of all time, but one of the best coaches of all time. I mean, the man did invent the morning shoot-around, which is now standard basketball practice everywhere. He also contributed as an executive to many championships. He won at every level of his career. He was simply one of the greatest that the league has ever seen. Well, that does it for today. Join us next time when we share the story of FIBA, the International Basketball Federation. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.